Poznanski and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're so welcome. You are so welcome. You know what we have this week? Do you know what we have? I have, a, gu- I have a guess. Can I guess? Go ahead and guess. Segments. Segments. We have segments. <laughs> Tons of segments on the podcast. You think people like the segments that we do? You Look, think that they- you know, if if I were a person who listened to this podcast, and I don't, I can't, I'm literally don't know what kind of person I'm even describing. But if I were the kind of person who listened to this podcast as a fan, I think I would appreciate the concept of segments because generally speaking, this podcast tends to be about an hour and 28 minutes of you and me <laughs> rambling about nothing. And at least if there are segments, you could say like, well, this is broken up into somewhat digestible chunks and I can skip this segment if i don't like if i know what segment is coming and i don't want to hear it i can just skip to the next segment so i feel like i'm guessing that this is appreciated by people who listen to the to the podcast i would think so i would i would think that they would really you know it's it's almost like you wish you had the old uh cd way i mean i guess you you know or 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 being able to turn this into an album where you could hit just like that button that just skipped you right to the next segment like i don't I don't right. want to hear this Jeanette segment. But, I mean, exactly. Like when you when you listen to the Radiohead album, OK Computer, when it came out, and Fitter right. Happier came on, which was like a five-minute long, weird computer voice sort of nonsense poem. Yes, yes. It was, it was like the, the, you were never happier for the, for the skip track button. But just boom. Just, just boom. You're out. You're yeah. totally out. Yeah. Speaking, of, speaking of skip track, and this is not a segment, this is just a question for you. So where do you stand on Maroon 5 as a halftime uh, act for the Super Bowl? It's the most NFL thing ever. <laughs> it is so funny. I, I actually burst out laughing when I saw that news. It is so the NFL. It's the squarest, lamest thing. There's so many things about it that are so funny. First of all, Maroon 5 is a lame band. <laughs> they, yes. they stink. Of course. <laughs> and, and that's the first thing. The second thing is the Super Bowl is in Atlanta. There is nary a more vibrant music scene in America right now than the right. South. And like it, it is the number of different interesting Atlanta natives who they could yes. have perform. Uh, you know what? Like uh, of all the things to get upset about at the NFL for, this is so low on the list, but it is on the list. And like I feel, I really feel like the Justin Timberlake um, thing with Janet Jackson, where he did a thing that they had clearly rehearsed and ripped off her thing. And it accidentally exposed her breast for an eighth of a second. And the whole world lost its mind. And somehow Janet Jackson was punished endlessly. And Justin Timberlake wasn't, I still don't know how that happened. And and then got to just return as a halftime. Right. Bring him back. That thing, like the weird sort of like puritanical forces that got that guard, the NFL shield and guard like American television came down like a hammer. And they basically said at that moment, from now on, we are only going to have the lamest possible bands. <laughs> <laughs> and they've, they've like, they've done okay. A couple of times, like Bruno Mars was great. I thought. Yes, and yes. you know, Prince uh, was, yeah, Prince like was, Prince. Was well, but yeah. Prince was, I feel like Prince was before that. Maybe no, he was, I think maybe after, he was after that. I think after that. And I think Pr- so. well, Prince also like totally, um, totally hoodwinked them in the best way by putting that giant <laughs> scrim up and playing his 
insane guitar so that it looked like an enormous phallus, which was fantastic and hilarious because he knew exactly what he was doing and he was oh, great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they didn't because they're too lame. Uh, but <laughs> the point is, is like they, it's like, you know, it was like Paul McCartney and the Rolling Stones and, and like these just, these just old timers. And now Maroon 5, Maroon 5, are you kidding me? I mean, I, it is so funny. Like there are so many people who are a better choice than Maroon 5. And it's like, you, you can just always count on the NFL to be the most sort of like prudish and kind of lame, bland, like let's not cause any trouble for anyone anywhere, guard the shield, firm lantern jawed Roger Goodell watching approvingly from his like weird moral perch. Uh, it's, it couldn't be a better choice. It's, a, it's, it's in some ways you have to applaud them. It's the funniest possible choice. It's, it's so funny. That's what I thought. It's so, you know what it's like? I, as soon as I saw it, and again, I'm, I'm sure that some of our listeners are, are big Maroon 5 fans. And, and to you, I say, I, I don't know what you're thinking, but, but, I, but it made me think of that great scene uh, where the father comes into the record store and Jack Black is uh, is the is is working the record store, right? And and the guy says, "My daughter wants to hear. He wants the Stevie Wonder album because he wants uh, that. I just called to say I love you song." And and Jack Black starts screaming at him, "Do you even know your daughter?" And like that's the NFL. Like the NFL is that guy. Like, do you even know? Like, was this a Roger Goodell going to to some? You know, hey, we want to be hip with the kids. Who's hip with the kids? And 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 like, you know, several people in suits are like, well, this Maroon Five thing is really interesting. And I, it's so funny. It's so I, funny. I I wish that were the case. I think they're just they probably look at like album sales, and they probably look at like you know penetration of marketplaces in different you know metro areas, and they get the whitest possible person <laughs> yeah. they can get. Uh, so you, you think you know, it's sinister. In addition to being hilarious, you think there's some sinister elements in this. I think it's. I think everything that the NFL does is is purely calculated to just be the most, the least offensive to the most people. Right? It's yes. like, yes. you know, th there's a there's a sort of that that famous anecdote which may be apocryphal of Michael Jordan saying Republicans buy shoes to right. buy sneakers too. It, that may not have happened. It may have happened. But regardless of whether it did, I think that is the attitude of the NFL. The, oh, the attitude yeah. is, in all matters, is how can we offend the fewest number of people? So every so they do these things. Whatever they do, do actually do things. Those things are like, we need a bigger flag for, for the <laughs> national anthem. That flag isn't big enough. It has to be bigger. And we have 25 military heroes from from you know, every single branch of the uh, military and we get to sing the national anthem for longer and louder. And we're going to all clap for like every kind of uh, like unambiguously kind of quote unquote patriotic cause we can quote. And th like they, you know, they just are like, we're, we're going to force people. We're going to coerce people into just clapping for just America and apple pie. And that's it. That's the end of the line in terms of, in terms of what we're going to take a stand on. Where are there the only stand the NFL takes is the America is great. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's basically it. We used to always have this this thing we always used to say uh, that there were certain uh, editorials uh, that that the newspaper would do, and we used to call them the "Education is good, crime is bad" editorial, which is like the thing that you would say that almost nobody 
would disagree with. Of course, now that's, you know, even those things are controversial. But at that time, it was like, oh, yeah, so we're going to we're going to do, you know, an editorial saying that uh, crime is not good. We should we should not do that's the NFL. That's the NFL. It's like, yeah, we're for we're for America, but not in any direct way. We're just for this larger America thing. Yeah. We're yeah, pro we're pro USA. That's our that's our <laughs> going that's us going out on a limb. <laughs> okay. Uh, so so uh, that's a nice that's a nice turn from our uh, as we as we lead into segments. And our first segment is of course the Yankee Minute. Yankee Minute. You, you know what? I mean, I, I have a feeling the Yankee Minute's going to be exactly the same. Well, there's two things in the Yankee Minute. One is you do get your time to gloat for the moment that every Red Sox fan has is, is dreams of and, and you know, the, the sort of thing that happens. And you should not let it pass without fully enjoying it. And that is, of course, the Red Sox getting to enjoy winning the division at Yankee Stadium, on the field at Yankee Stadium. That had to feel great. It did. I don't want to gloat too much because I still am superstitious about such things. But uh, for those of you who don't know, this is the second time in three years. The Red Sox have now won three straight division titles for the first time in history. That shows you how how in a hundred and whatever years, uh, because the Yankees have just always won. Um, So that's great. That's very special. This is the second out of those three years that they clinched in New York, which is amazing. However... Uh, the last time that they clinched in New York, they were winning the game by like three or four runs in the ninth inning. They found out that they had won by virtue of, a, I think, Baltimore loss or a Toronto loss. I can't remember. So like in the eighth inning, it was like, hey, we won the division. There's nothing yeah. that's great. The Yankees were in the midst of, for them, a terrible season, which meant they only won like 84 games or something. <laughs> um, and uh so they were but they were going to win the game and then they were going to get to celebrate on the field at yankee stadium and i really was i was watching the game thinking this is amazing i can't believe i'm going to see this they're going to celebrate a division title on that field that's great that is so wonderful and then the yankees rallied off craig kimbrell and mark Deshera hit a walk-off grand slam and it was just like it was so perfect it was so perfect because it was like even in the one of the great moments in the history of the franchise winning a division title in Yankee and clinching in Yankee Stadium, it's still they were still just like denied the little bit of pleasure of like running and jumping around on the mound. And so they like slunk off the field and like went into the clubhouse and then like celebrated with champagne because they was fine. Who cares? Who cares how right. you win the division title? Right. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter, right? But then so then everything lines up perfectly. This year they go into a three-game series at Yankee Stadium with a and the magic number is two, which means they just need to win one game. They lose the they're up in the first game and they lose and they come back in the ninth and almost win and then hit into a double play and lose the game. Game two, they get blown out. And I was like, this is really going to happen again. It, they're going to go down. They're going to clinch in Cleveland when the Yankees lose to the Orioles and right. they beat the Indians in a meaningless game. And it's just not going to be the same. It's so annoying. And I'm and then they were up big last night and then they they went uh Edward Eduardo Rodriguez walked three straight guys and then uh, Stanton had a grand slam to take right. a six, four lead. And I was like, well, that's it. And amazingly, because this team is great. This Red Sox team is so great. And they've been so fun to watch. They came back and won and it was wonderful. It really did feel special. I, I like, I got to see that moment. We all got to see that moment. The craziest thing about this, and this is, goes back to our, to what this is really about the segment of yes. the Yankee minute. 
the Yankees hit like 104 home runs in this three-game series, and every single one of them was a right-handed hitter hitting a 312-foot home run to right yeah. field. Yeah, it yep. is. It is shocking how much they take advantage of their park. It is. I. It's crazy. That grand slam was to right. Luke Voigt hit three home runs. They were all to right field. One of them was to center, really, but two of them were. I mean, like Sports Center actually did a f- thing about this. It was like they three right-handed hitters in the ten to one game hit three home runs, and they none of them traveled more than three hundred and forty feet, and none of them would have been a home run in any other stadium in <laughs> in the majors. It's crazy, and you know the story. The real story that people are tr- sort of like worried about in Red Sox Nation is like, can David Price ever beat the Yankees? He's now zero and six with an ERA of ten in Yankee Stadium as a member of the Red Sox. They just absolutely light him up, and the reason they light him up is because he works the outside corner with cutters, and the right-handed hitters all just take him the other way, and they all just hit these little mini pop fly oh. home runs. It's infuriating, oh, yeah. and if you watch those, Luke Luke Voigt hit two home runs off him. And they were not bad pitches. They were maybe a little bit up, like they were maybe, you know, lower thigh high instead of being at the knees. They were off the plate. Neither of them was even a strike. And they just reach out and flick the ball to right field. And it, it, is, it must be infuriating for people to pitch in that stadium because even though the pesky pole is actually closer and even though the monster is, you know, 310 feet or whatever it is down the line, Right field at at Yankee Stadium with that weird jet stream current and the weird way that that ball just floats out of there. It is it is it's got to be the easiest home run to hit in the majors, don't you think? Well, it's certainly the easiest one that you can target. I mean, the thing about pesky pole is um, the ball. The the first of all, there's there are all sorts of wind considerations and currents and all that. But more to the point. Right field, as we know, at, at Fenway Park is enormous. I mean, the, basically the wall juts completely straight back, essentially, right? I mean, everybody remembers the, you know, the Dwight Evans catch in, in 75. I mean, that ball was rocketed. I mean, it would have been it would have been out of Yankee Stadium, this new Yankee Stadium practically. And he caught the ball, you know, basically without even, I mean, he caught it well within the the range of the the ballpark so i don't think the thing that's crazy about yankee stadium is that the whole right field is like it's not like hey if i just slice it right down the line like at fenway park you know you can't really do that on command you you know maybe as a lefty you could pull it right down that line but as a righty you can't just slice a ball i mean you can but you have to get lucky in order for you to slice a ball right down that line and have it stay fair but the whole right field at Fenway at uh, Yankee Stadium, anything you any pop up you hit the other way has a chance of going out. Right. Essentially. Yeah. And it's insane. It's insane. We the other person we have to talk about, and you you mentioned him already. Luke Voigt at the moment is hitting. Um, I don't even think that these numbers are updated. I, I don't know if they're updated. At this point, he was hitting 320, 394, 649. 320 batting average, 394 on base percentage, 649 slugging percentage with 10 home runs. But didn't he hit his 11? He hit his 11th last night. Yeah. 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 So I, so, so I got to look it up on. uh, So it's higher now when all those numbers are up. (laughs) (laughs) Look, we tried to to warn people, right? Like at our last podcast, we tried to warn people that of what was happening. We sounded the alarm and no one listened to us. No, no. Yeah. He's, uh, he's actually hitting, um, 
He's actually slugging. Let's see here. Uh, boy, finding trying to find Luke Voigt numbers is, uh, <laughs> is a, a bit of a, a bit of a challenge, as as it should be. As yeah. Should be. <laughs> well, because he um, doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. It's absolutely insane. This guy is like. Hit, while yeah. you're looking, I'll just update some Luke Voigt stats. He hit the home run that tied the all-time Yankees team record for home runs in a season. Right. And then he That's hit right. the home run that broke the Yankees all-time home run record in a season. So he's in the record books forever. He also hit his ninth, uh, 10th and 11th home runs of the season in like a hundred and what is it? 125 at bats or something. He's on, he's basically on like a 60 home run pace um, for a full season. And he then by hitting his 10th, the Yankees broke a record for the most people who have 10 or more home runs on their team with 12. So he's again in the record books for that reason. He's basically, he has the highest, obviously he doesn't qualify, but he has the highest liking percentage on the Yankees. He has the highest OPS on the Yankees. I think he has the highest batting average on the Yankees. So on a team with Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and Miguel Andujar and Gliber Torres and uh, Didi Gregorius and all of those people, he is right now the very best hitter on the team. <laughs> he was, he's 27 years old. He's barely played in the majors. He, he got, was picked up for literally $0. Uh, in fact, he was picked up in addition to international signing uh, money uh, right. from the Cardinals. And he is absolutely destroying the American league. And there is zero doubt in my mind that he will hit an eighth inning three run Homer to clinch the ALDS uh, for the Yankees <laughs> in game five. I mean, it's 109 plate appearances now. I mean, it's like it's the, you know, these sorts of things, like if you do it for two weeks or whatever, but now we're getting to the point where he's done it for a little more than a month. It is a perfect Yankee thing. Wh- who will Luke Voigt disappoint next season is the question. Who- great, great question. Yes, right. Who will? Well, first of all, the Brewers will trade like their four <laughs> best players to the Yankees for Luke Voigt. <laughs> All of those players will go on to have like lengthy careers with the Yankees, and Luke Voigt will hit seven home runs in three months before hurting his back <laughs> and never playing baseball again. <laughs> poor Luke Voigt. Poor, poor Luke Voigt. It's you know he's he's having his moments, so it's it's nice. All right, well there you go. There's your Yankee minute for the week, and we move on to our next segment, which is very exciting, by the way, this week I think, and that is uh, we're checking in on Scooter Jeanette. Checking in on Scooter Jeanette. All right, so to catch people up on Scooter, um, so here's the deal. We're, we, are, we have been rooting all year for Scooter Jeanette. <laughs> we haven't been doing this all year, but we've been rooting for Scooter <laughs> Jeanette for a while now to do what we call the Scooter, which, of course, as everybody knows, is uh, 15 double plays, 25 homers, 35 doubles, 45 walks. And I got to tell you, Scooter Jeanette is making a heck of a run. He is making a great late season, end of the year push. Yeah. It is so exciting. So exciting. It's going to be tough. uh, But here's where we stand right now at this moment. Uh, He has 13 double plays. So so that's well within range. That can happen. Two double plays can happen even in one game. So that can happen. Uh, he has 23 home runs, so very, very good chance that that's going to happen. Obviously, <laughs> right at the dead at the deadline here, but it could happen. 30 walk, I mean, 30 doubles. That's going to be tougher. 30. He's got to get five more doubles before the end of the year. Uh, we're going to need a big doubles game from Scooter Jeanette. 
but he has 42 walks. His walks have kicked in. He really has. He's he's been on a tear. He's been on a walk tear lately. And this is really where it gets exciting. On uh, so we are doing this on Friday. On Thursday, he almost had the one game scooter. He almost pulled off the one game scooter. Yep. He had a walk. He had a double. He had a home run. He did not hit into a double play. Uh, so he he was a double play short of the scooter. But the Reds hit the two double plays in that game. So so the opportunity was there. He had for, his chances. For, he had his chances <laughs> to pull it off. And in order to do that, I looked up who has had the most single-game scooters Fantastic. in baseball history. Of course you did. Let's hear it. Oh, here it is, and you will love it. There are two people tied at the top, <laughs> and, and one is an active player. I will even have you guess. One is an active player who who you uh, absolutely love. Who I love? Yes, you absolutely love this uh, Oh, Adrian Beltre. Ooh. Good guess, but but that is incorrect. It is incorrect. The active player is JD Martinez. Oh, with, of with course, four, yes. With four scooters, right? Four, four scooters. with four single game scooters. Four single game scooters. Albert Bell also had four single game scooters. What I really enjoy is that tied uh, for second in the single game scooter category uh, with three each: Orlando Cepeda and Ernie Banks. How about wow. that? How about that? How so about that? Yeah. So if you if you have more than two scooters in your you're, career, you're, it's basically a shoe in. You're a Hall of Famer. <laughs> you're right, and and it should be on your Hall of Fame ballot. I think. Can I mean, we say like definitively a, that the scooter really should replace the cycle as like the thing oh, that people get excited about? No question. No question. <laughs> and you know, I, oh my gosh, the feeling in the ninth <laughs> inning with one out when you come up with one man with a runner on first base. <laughs> Well, what's great about the scooter, the single game scooter, is you can control three things and you can't control the fourth, right? Theoretically, right. you can control the walk, the double, and the homer. But to get the double play, it's it's teammate dependent. It's a more it it's a more kind of like teamwork based individual <laughs> achievement, right? So I feel like that I, now the the palpable excitement in the stadium when someone has doubled, homered, and hit into a double play, and they come up in the eighth just needing that walk. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 3-1, and he swings at an outside pitch, and everybody boos. They're just booing. You know, close the door to a scooter. Come on. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think, you know, he only has nine games left or something. Yes. I, don't, I don't think he's going to get there. But it, it would be, if he went into that last game, need, imagine this scenario, because this is possible. He could go into that last game needing the single game scooter to complete the season. Scooter. Oh, how exciting would that, that be? That would be something else. Yeah. <laughs> that would be exciting. What if he went into the last game needing like two doubles to, to, yeah. to complete the scooter? There's a like lot that? of there's a lot of exciting scenarios. <laughs> the one thing we can say about this definitively is that it's exciting. <laughs> we had we had no earthly idea how exciting this year's scooter uh, chase would be. But we really didn't. But now we know that that basically this is what we need to do every Just year. Come down to the see, wire, yeah. Well, next can... year, unfortunately, we're going to have to pick a new player and make up a new chase, right? So <laughs> chase. we can yeah. still follow the scooter and anyone else who's chasing the scooter, but I think right. we've got to come up with a new thing that we're rooting for. We still follow the fam. We still follow the fam. And by the way, last year's uh, podcast uh, uh, player, uh, Tommy Fam, he's been doing okay. Been yeah, doing he okay. Had a, he's had a couple big games recently. Yeah, yeah. So we're 
We're still watching Tommy, but uh, you know, right now we've got to focus our energies on Scooter Jeanette. Obviously, <laughs> that goes without saying. All right, if if that's not enough, if like the most exciting Scooter Jeanette uh, check in is is not enough, um, this is unquestionably the greatest Cleveland Browns update ever. Let's check in. I mean, to, to have a Cleveland Browns update that even included a win, you'd have to go back at least two years. So, yeah, I can't imagine. And this is a win with the other thing that's been noticeably absent from every previous Cleveland Browns update, which is hope. There is hope. no hope. hope. An, a win and hope is a, is, a, is a thing that has never happened before in a Cleveland Browns op- update. Oh, no, nothing even close. In fact, I, I uh, have written my... Uh, uh, I guess by the time this this runs, you'll you'll be able to go to the athletic and see the uh, Browns diary. Um, in the Browns diary, I make this point. Everybody says that you know this is the first win the Browns beat the Jets on Thursday night, first win in 635 days. Which you know when you start breaking it down into days, like you're just trying to make it worse than it is. You know, I mean it's 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 bad enough. It's bad enough. But here was my here was the point I made in the piece. It's it's been way longer than 635 days since the Browns won a game. Way longer. Yes, technically, they won that game against San Diego when they were 0-14 and nobody cared. And I mean, nobody came out of that game thinking, oh, hey, Browns won. What a what a cool feeling to to catch to watch. No. No, it was it was like scoring a last second touchdown when you're down 63-0. It's like, yeah, okay, you you, you avoided the shutout, but, I mean, you're not you're not celebrating. I mean, nobody cared about that. The last time the Browns won a game like this, where it was early enough in the season that you felt like, oh, hey, maybe things are going to work out okay, well more than 1,000 days if you want to start doing that. you got to go back to early 2015 season when they beat the Ravens in overtime in a game they should have lost by two touchdowns. Um and they went to two and three like that. And, and that was the last time I think that there's even been a chance to feel what it's like to actually win a game. And that's been, you know, more than three years and or three years or so. And, and, uh, crazy. Yeah. Crazy. There's, but, a lot, there's a lot to say about it. The number one thing I actually watched, I watched a good yes, chunk of an NFL game yes, for the first time in a very long there. time. Awesome. And it was exciting, uh, and I got swept up in it. And I was texting with you, and I was texting with a couple other Cleveland Browns fan friends of mine. And th- there's a couple of things to say, but I would the main thing I took away from it is, um, I mean, besides you know Baker Mayfield entering the game, oh Tyrod God. Taylor throwing a bunch of terrible passes, and then getting unfortunately injured, and yes. Baker Mayfield entering the game, and the immediate jolt of excitement that oh he brought God. to that team was was like that's the headline obviously because your hope to whatever extent you have hope as a Browns fan your hope is 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 best encapsulated by that sequence of events right this guy that you took you you took number one overall everybody thought you made a mistake everybody thought you could have gotten that guy lower blah 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 that guy comes in and he immediately drives you down the field and you get points before halftime and then he ends up leading you back from 14 to nothing to win a game for the first time in two years that's the headline obviously but in the last drive, the Jets were driving down the field, and they, you know the, they were pinned down. They, the Browns made a bunch of good decisions, I think they're yeah. called. Like, it's been a long time since you could say that. 
but they like, you know, they, they, they got the turnover and they, they stalled out at like the 35 and instead of kick, trying to kick a 52 yard field goal that absolutely would have been blocked in return for a touchdown, <laughs> they, <laughs> they punted and they pinned the jets down. at like the four yard line and it was great. And, uh, and it was like, okay, competent, well executed decision. Good job, everybody. Then the Jets immediately throw, the Jets have like a minute and no timeouts, and they immediately throw a long 30-yard pass. And um, and uh, and you're like, oh boy, here we go. But then at some point in that drive, I think it was that drive, it might have been the previous drive, the, it was like they converted a fourth and 10 on a crazy catch, like a really good throw by Darnold. Uh, not a great throw, but like a, a, a well-thrown ball and a catch on fourth and 10 for like 12 yards. Now, right. when you looked at the catch, it was probably not a catch. The right. guy grabbed the ball. He was behind him. He grabbed it and coming to the ground, the ball hit the ground. And and it looked like had you reviewed it, it would have been right. overturned. And I and they didn't review it. And like the rules in the NFL are insane. Who's supposed to do that? Is it the booth? Do you throw the challenge flag? You Oh, it's under two minutes. You can't do this. You have to do this. You have you can't throw the red flag. You have to throw the checkered flag. And then the checkered flag signals to the booth that there's a problem in the booth then determines whether there's a review in a 10 second runoff i mean those it's just absurd at the end of football games it's like a weird lawless thing that just breaks down into chaos but whatever the situation is whatever the process is by which that play needed to be reviewed it wasn't reviewed right and so suddenly it's just first and 10 and the jets are driving and you think to yourself well this is how it happens right the jets go down and they score a touchdown and then browns fans say that wasn't a catch that was fourth down that should have been the game before you could even have that series of thoughts, Sam Darnold threw an interception. The game was over. Yes, yes. And I just had this weird thought where it's like, for however long, for 20 years, this franchise has been utterly, miserably run, and they've had the worst luck. And they've had a combination of complete incompetence in the front office, complete incompetence on the field, complete incompetence in their coaching ranks. And then also, it should be noted, terrible luck. They've just had really bad luck. They have had situation after situation where they could, despite the incompetence that was rife in their organization at every level, they could have won a bunch of football games because the worst football teams in the league win a bunch of games every year because it's just an insane game that doesn't make any sense. And the Browns haven't, or at least have won fewer, in part because of just terrible, miserable, awful luck. And that moment, I thought, well, here we go. Theoretically, they are due for a 20-year run of, (laughs) if not good luck, just normal football luck, luck. normal situational karma where the ball bounces their way at least as much, if not perhaps slightly more, that it bounces the way of the other team. And that combined with Baker Mayfield, if he's the real deal, and Miles Garrett and Jabril Peppers and whoever else Carlos Hyde looked pretty good last night. Yeah, like, yeah. like it, maybe it's just time, you know, I remember I've said this a lot and I apologize for people who know how much I talk about the new England sports, but before 2004, all, all Red Sox fans wanted was just to be a normal team. We were like yes. Pinocchio. It was like, we just want to be a normal <laughs> boy. We just want to be, a, we just don't want to have anything outrageously terrible about the franchise. We just want to, win once and then it's fine. And I think that what the Browns fans probably want is what is to be like all football teams or at least most football teams, which is to go into a season thinking, Hey, we could be 10 and six this year. And then if you think that and you go six and 10, you're like, nah, that was a bad year. Ball didn't bounce our way. 
But sometimes you'll go in thinking like, I don't think it's going to work out. I think we're going to be seven and nine and you'll be 11 and five and you'll make the playoffs. Like that's all that anyone can really ever ask for is the sense that they, like all franchises, are a bunch of weird bounces away from being 11 and five or 10 and six and making the playoffs. That's all anybody ever really can hope for in the NFL except for the team that I root for uh, <laughs> over the last 20 years. But I feel like that is what, that's the hope that, that I think Browns fans have today. The hope is not we're going to win the Super Bowl, but rather every year, theoretically now, we could go into the year with a reasonable expectation of finishing somewhere between 6 and 10 and 10 and 6. And that's all any NFL franchise can ever reasonably hope for. That's right. That's right. I mean, I think if you go into that expectation, you can sometimes go thirteen and three and go to win the Super Bowl. I mean, that's that's what happens. I, I there there are, there are two big takeaways for me from the game uh, yesterday. Uh, so the first one is, you know, Baker Mayfield. Every single thing about the Browns changed the second Baker Mayfield stepped on the field. Everything about them changed. And, you know, part of that is there's, you know, he was the first pick in the draft. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of hype. He's a he's a very sort of joyful personality. I think everybody on the team seems to really like him. He's he's a go, go, go kind of guy. So I, I think I think some of it is that. Some of it is obviously he's fantastic the way he played. But here was the thing that that struck me, and I don't know, if, and I'd be interested to hear what you think about this. Being you're not a Browns fan, or you're maybe coming back on board, but you're from viewing it from the outside. One of the things that fascinates me about sports is every so often teams will come along, and something will happen to them. I think of like the 1999 Rams. So the Rams were terrible; they were just absolutely terrible, and and for years. And Dick Vermeil was was the coach, and he was considered completely out of touch and whatever. And then they got Marshall Falk in the in the off season, and it was like, oh, well, Marshall Falk, he's probably going to make them better. He's a good player. Uh, he's a great player, but whatever. They're the Rams. They they they're no good. And then they got Trent Green, and he's like, yeah, Trent Green, maybe he'll be okay. And then Trent Green gets hurt. Like, all right, well, forget it. All the Rams are over with. And then Kurt Warner kind of comes out of nowhere and is John Unitas and and whatever. But here was the thing that struck me about that team. When they started winning early in the year, suddenly you looked around that team, and you're like, wow, you know what? They've got a lot of good players that I just never thought about before. And suddenly you look and you're like, okay, well, their left tackle is is going to the Hall of Fame, right? Isaac Bruce is one of their receivers. He's he's going maybe going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, Torrey Holt was a rookie receiver. He's like, wow, that guy's a stud. London Fletcher, you look around and you're like, wow, he's – He's really, really good. He's going to Pro Bowl. He's a great player. Kevin Carter leads the league in sacks. You're like, wow, he's a really good player. And it's it's like you never would have noticed any of that if they if 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 not for Kurt Warner sort of making the whole team good. Suddenly you looked around and went, wow, they've got like, you know, nobody even thought about Orlando Pace. Nobody thought about like, oh, how good is their left tackle? They just were like whatever, they're irrelevant. I mean they're 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 totally irrelevant. And then they got good and then you're like looked around. That's kind of the feeling I had with this Browns team for the first time was, yes, Baker Mayfield brought the whole thing together, but suddenly you looked around and you were like, boy, you know, Landry's a really good player and and on defense, my God, Miles Garrett, we know, is a really good player, but Denzel Ward's a really good player and 
and Jabril Peppers is like becoming a really good player. And, and, you know, their linebackers are like pretty solid and, and their offensive line isn't bad. And, and suddenly you just went, this isn't that far away potentially. And that's who knows how far away it really is, but boy, that's the first time I've ever felt that way about the Browns. I mean, yeah, and now but, realize that they, by one year missed Joe Thomas, Oh, I and, know. which is so sad. Um, and obviously, look, who knows what's going to happen? We should preface this by saying there's a of decent course, chance the Browns course. end the year one fourteen and one. <laughs> <laughs> I think more than one tie. I really oh. do believe. What if they yeah. were like one eight and seven? <laughs> it, would, it would at least be interesting, right? It would at least be well. It would actually be the opposite of interesting. Uh, yeah, um, but they, 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 yeah, they, they're one year away from having Joe Thomas, and they, and they also lost. Josh Gordon and and you know that's a different story obviously there's a lot going on there and there's no it's not like Josh Gordon was a really productive and and helpful player to that team for the last five years but yeah they I mean there's there's a very slightly different sort of sliding doors universe where Joe Thomas is the left tackle and and Josh Gordon is your number one receiver and suddenly you're like wait a second this team's gonna win their division (laughs) (laughs) you know and they've got two you know a bunch of bunch of draft picks next year high draft picks I mean it's it's amazing how quickly perspective can turn because obviously all of this is reality anyway. But it's qu- crazy how quickly perspective can ret- you know just t- and they picked up Landry and Denzel Ward was a draft pick this year and Miles Garrett was the first pick last year and so you know that's that's a big thing. But it really was Baker Mayfield who just brought everything into focus, not just because he played well, but because. Everything felt for the first time like, okay, the plan is now really in motion. It's a little bit like what you talked about on the last Browns uh, update. Now it's real. Like when, when it's nothing against Tyrod Taylor, who's a, you know, a perfectly fine veteran quarterback, whatever. But if you knew he was just there to like take up space until Baker Mayfield was ready to go. Now suddenly Baker Mayfield's like, oh, okay, th- that's it. Start the clock. I mean, this is. This is happening for real. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I have to say is really a direct plea to to Hugh Jackson. <laughs> I knew this was coach. coming. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I'm saying this. I was on Cleveland radio uh, a couple of days ago, and they asked me how I feel about Hugh because obviously I've written and I've said many times I can't believe that a head coach who is one thirty two and one because he was coming in can even coach in the NFL like that. That's even legal. I, I honestly, it doesn't even matter. I wrote in the piece. I said, "Look, if you have been, if you have been in thirty four car accidents and thirty two uh, are ruled your fault, it doesn't matter really. Like what at what point, like you know how unlucky you were, or what the you know how bad your car is, or whatever. It's like it, it, take away the license. It's 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 time to move on." Um, but they asked me, "Do I am I rooting against Hugh Jackson?" And absolutely not. The exact opposite. I hope Hugh Jackson wins out this year and 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 is the head coach for the Browns for the next 10 years. I don't absolutely not rooting against him. So, I say this with love. Game ends, Hugh Jackson's on the on the podium, he, or on the, you know, behind the behind the uh, lectern and he's and he's, you know, he's sort of happy, but you know, he's got to keep on that that head football coaches, oh, you know, we just want to do this every week kind of look or whatever. And I get it. I, he doesn't want to look hysterically happy. It's fine. And somebody asked him the inevitable question, which he had to know was coming, which is, what are you going to do next week? Or who are you going to start next week? And there's such an easy answer for this. And he sort of started to answer this way. 
This is what gets me. He sort of started to answer this way. You just say, hey, you know what? We just won a football game. We're going to enjoy this one. We're going to worry about next week. We're going to, we'll all talk about it. We'll get to that next week. But right now, we're going to enjoy this football game. He sort of started to say that. And that's so obviously the way you go. Mm-hmm. But then he veered off and he's like, well, I really need to watch the tape. <laughs> I have to watch the tape. I, guys, I got to be honest with you. I've got to watch the tape. That's right. What could possibly be on that tape? What could possibly be on that tape that would make him think, oh, no, I don't want to start Baker Mayfield. Okay, so, so here's here's my generous reading of this, okay? My generous reading of this, and I kind of think this is, I really do think this is what's going on here. Right. It's kind of, it's kind of a jerk move to say Tyrod Taylor is in the clubhouse with a concussion. Right. No, no, that's right. That's so right. I think that he's probably like, he's not going to get up there and go like, later, Tyrod Taylor, it's <laughs> Baker Mayfield time. Like I, of course not. He, so of course I think he's probably protecting the ego and the career and the, and the sort of like composition of his locker room a little bit. I don't know if Tyrod Taylor is liked or not liked or whatever, but he is a veteran guy. He's been in the league for a few years and he's the quarterback of the team. And so I think that he prop that Hugh Jackson probably was saying to, he was sending the message of like, I'm not going to get up here and and gloat about the young guy when the old guy is banged up. And I mean, it's funny to think of Tyrod Taylor as old. He's like 27 or something, (laughs) but But I, I, that had to be this because obviously there is a 0.000% chance that, that Tyrod Taylor starts next week's game. And by the way, if he did, that might be the thing that gets him fired. If you right. were, That's if right. you own the Browns and after what just happened, your head coach started Tyrod Taylor over Baker Mayfield, I think that would be grounds for firing. Right. Well, I'll give it, see, I agree with you. And I, and, and so generously, and I, and I feel nothing but generosity to Hugh Jackson today as the Browns won. Um, generously, it's like a tick to say that I got to watch the film. He didn't mean really, that he's got to watch a film, watch the tape, whatever he said. Um, so generously, I, I know that that's, he was, that's exactly what he's doing. He, was, he, he can't go up there and say, yeah, we're going to start Baker Mayfield, that you've got to have a meeting with Tyrod Taylor personally. I mean, you've got to handle this right. So I totally get all that. But here's the other thing he said, and this one kind of got underplayed. He said something to the effect of, uh, Baker Mayfield, the, the young, the young man. I like he always calls it the young man. Like, come on, the young man had a had a great game. You can't take that away from him. Who's trying to take anything away from Baker Mayfield right now? That's what scares me. What scares me is that there's a part of him that wants to like oh, Tyra. I, I I had a plan here, and the plan was to keep Baker Mayfield on the bench, and I still love Tyrod, and I still think he's the better guy for us right now and that's what scared me is the you can't take it away from him but it's just it's just coach speak it's just all the cliches that they don't even know what they're saying they go up there they have like 12 (laughs) chunks of words that they just spew out and and then they move on he's not there don't i think take trying to take any actual meaning or import from anything coaches say is so pointless you know that's probably right but but I would love to sit down and talk with him about ways he can he can seem more in touch sure. with, with the world. Because, you could, I mean, could be part of your consulting firm where you consult exactly. with politicians about how to talk about sports <laughs> when they when they tour around the country. You could talk to coaches about how they relate to the media after games. 
There's a, yes. you, this is going to be the most successful consulting firm in the world. You're going to make so much money. <laughs> I'm very excited about my my consulting, and you're going to come on, and you're going to consult. Yes, I'm, with, I'm uh, happy. I'm look. I could. What we need is is like um, regional specialties, right? Like yes, you're running yes. the firm. This is your idea. You get the light. You're the majority owner. You own 51 percent of the stock of this <laughs> consulting firm, but you should bring in people from. Um, like the Southeast uh, when it's like SEC who know oh, what the yeah. SEC. I yeah. can be your New England guy. You can bring in people <laughs> from the Pacific Northwest to talk about the the Mariners and the Seahawks and the and the Portland uh, you know the Timbers games and stuff. You you need regional people to have to do specific work with these politicians to say like listen. You're going to be in El Paso, Texas. <laughs> here's the way you here's the way you talk about the Aggies. Here's the way you talk about UT. Here's the way you talk about the Rangers. Like, you know what I mean? You need to have experts in the regional field so that, oh, no you know, so that people really can really nail it. <laughs> it's it's going to be great. All right. We've got to go on. We've got to move on as much as I would say, love We've got too many segments. We got too many segments. I, well, especially I would love to stay on this Brown segment for forever. I mean, I'm so I'm just it was such a joy, such a joy. All right, we are moving on to our uh, sports movie time. Sports movie time. This is going to be a fairly short one because we are repeating the movie this week. Uh, last week we did uh, the Natural, and the question we did last week, our last podcast, was. Um, is Papa good manager? And uh, we, we, we discussed that. So this week, a much more direct question. And I, th- I think this is a fairly uh, simple question. So in The Natural, if uh, as, as you have seen it, uh, Roy Hobbs shows up at the, New York, at the New York Knights game and he, you know, nobody knows what's going on. This old guy walks in and, and, uh, and Pop like says, oh, who is this guy and whatever. And, and uh, he says, Scotty Carson sent me. Scotty Carson being a New York Knights scout. And Pop goes, oh, really? You know, and he gives him the contract. I guess Scotty had the power to sign people directly to the major leagues, which is a little bit weird. Um, and so he, he decides to honor the contract, but he wasn't going to play him, blah, blah, blah. We go on and on. The only point to be made here is later in the movie – uh, we see the judge who is hoping needing the team to lose uh, talking to Scotty Carson and he's mad at Scotty Carson because he sent him a player of the level of Roy Hobbs and Scotty Carson goes, I did exactly what you told me. This guy's a nobody from nowhere. Uh, uh, he's a complete joke. Um, and, and uh, you know, the, and it goes on from there. So the question is very specifically, did Scotty Carson send Roy Hobbs to the New York Knights to be good or because he thought he was a complete joke? That's basically the entire question. You're essentially asking whether Scotty Carson is part of a quiet conspiracy to to screw the judge. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's a cool theory. I'm not sure we know enough about Scotty Carson, the character, <laughs> to determine this one way or the other. But I The way I have always looked at it is – Scott, the judge said to Scotty Carson, "You go sign me a bunch of scrubs because I need. Right. I want. I want the team to lose. And uh, and I so like you know for you have the weird scout green light, the rare scout green light ability. I'm empowering you to just green light a bunch of major league contracts. Uh, so go sign me a bunch of terrible idiots, right? So Scotty Carson's out there looking for ding dongs and uh, 
low-grade players who have no skill. This guy shows up. He's Robert Redford. He's 40 years old. Uh, and he go and he goes, I want to play ball. And Scotty Garson goes, great. You're, uh, you're hired. <laughs> I, that's how I always took it. I always took it that it was a, that the situation was they judged the book by its cover. And then he accidentally ended up signing to a major league deal, the greatest pl- uh, baseball player of all time. That's how I've always seen it. And I don't, I, I love the theory that there's like a, uh, conspiracy underneath the, layers of bureaucracy of the New York Knights that hate the judge so much that they want to get rid of him. And Scotty Carson saw Roy Hobbs and was like, oh, brother, and then saw him hit and saw him throw and was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. But what that would require is Scotty Carson being the luckiest guy in the world because (laughs) the judge told him to hire terrible players. And then he saw a guy who looked like a terrible player but turned out to be the greatest player of all time and then he was like, this is the way that I can screw over the judge without getting fired. Or I have plausible deniability because if you look at this guy, right. there's no way that he seems like uh, he ought to be good. And I feel like that's so unlikely that I I think the truer answer is the first one. Okay, I'm going to give you two reasons why I think it's actually the second one. I actually believe that Scotty Carson is part of a silent uh, conspiracy. There's two reasons I think that. One is... It is clear that Scotty Carson and Pop have a relationship because at one point Pop says to his, whatever the guy's name is that was his uh, bench coach or whatever, um, he basically, the bench coach goes, remember you gave him the power to sign people. So Pop actually gave Scotty Carson the, the power and Pop goes, I know, but this guy's an old man or whatever. So I think that there was a relationship between Scotty Carson and Pop, and Pop actually respected Scotty Carson's uh, ability as a scout. So I think Scotty Carson, there there would be there would be motivation there to help Pop out. Plus, who could like the judge? Nobody's going to like the judge if you're in baseball. Well, nobody likes him, but they but he's their boss. Like he and, is their and, boss. And, and, and I'll say right away, I'd forgotten. Uh, full disclosure, I'd completely forgotten about that moment, but. Then one would wonder if 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 Scotty Carson and and Pop are so close, why didn't Scotty Carson call Pop or yes. come to see him yeah. and say, "I know this guy looks like he's an old man. I swear to God, he's Babe Ruth. Like, just <laughs> well, trust me on this. Like you, like you know what I mean. Like I, if 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 it if the intention had been to help Pop, you know, Roy Hobbs sat on the bench for weeks because yes. Pop didn't want to play him. So if Scotty Carson were aiding and abetting the the deep state conspiracy to overthrow the judge, he would have said, he would have sent a message, a letter, send a letter with Roy Hobbs saying, well, I know, well, I know, I know, just trust me, he's, he'll, he's going to lead the league in hitting. Well, this is what, this is the second thing. This is the second part. And this is another little moment that you probably have forgotten. In, uh, afterward, the bench coach pulls, uh, uh, takes uh, Robert Redford, Roy Hobbs out to dinner to kind of talk to him, tell him a little bit about Pop, tell him about the whole situation. And during that, he looks at uh, at at Roy Hobbs and he goes, Scotty Carson says you're a hell of a hitter. So that tells me that he did include some bit in there of that. And, and actually, Pop, I think, even says something later on, like, well, Scotty Carson's seen something in you. So I think that he did. I think Pop was – I think Scotty Carson was like – 
going out of his mind when he was looking at the box scores back in those days, looking at the newspaper box scores and seeing he wasn't starting Hobbs. He's like, what do I have to do? I sent him like this unbelievable hitter. Why won't he play him? And, but of course, you know, he still had to have that little plausible deniability for the judge. So I'm going to go with Scotty Carson did know what he was doing and was trying to get the judge out of there. Well, I, I like that theory. And I do remember those conversations. So I think that the truest thing to say about the situation is that uh, um, the screenwriters kind of maybe screwed it up a little bit. <laughs> and they should have closed the information gap more explicitly, but either by, you know, having Scotty Carson have a heart attack and die off camera. Right. <laughs> so that it was like, oh, if only he had, you know, uh, there's a, that remember the movie Deep Impact? Uh, yeah. The asteroid movie. So I, it, this is, I'm recalling this from memory, but I believe it begins with like a, an astronomer at a, uh, like at a, at a, you know, a giant telescope array, seeing something through the telescope, getting really freaked out grabbing a bunch of stuff, jumping in his car and driving to ostensibly warn someone about whatever it is he's seen. And then like getting into a car accident and dying. And it's cool because it's like, Oh no, the only person who saw this thing, like they could have given us some hope and now he's gone. You know, it's like, um, I feel like that's what they should have done with Scotty Carson. And then one way or the other, you would at least, you would at least be able to understand if, if it is true that he saw Hobbs hit and was like, this guy's Babe Ruth, then you would get why they didn't, he didn't try to warn uh, Pop to, or tell Pop to play him immediately because he is dead. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> I, I am totally <laughs> seeing this scene, by the way. Him, him telling his bench coach, hey, call Scotty Carson. And he, he said, find out what the heck is going on. And he calls Scotty Carson. And then he looks at Pop, you know, in that sort of plaintive way. And he goes, Scotty Carson's dead. Yeah. You know, just like that moment off. Oh, that would have been so powerful. And way better. By the way, they should have taken out the whole scene with Scotty Carson talking to the judge. Like that scene, it it unless unless they really wanted you to believe that Scotty Carson, maybe, maybe, maybe the the if we had those those uh screenwriters here right now with us. They might look at us and go, well, we put in that scene where he told the judge that he, he didn't do right. it. I mean, it's what, also possible that on. there was more information that was then cut from the oh, movie, right? It's like, who, who knows? I mean, the, it's just as likely at some level that Scotty Carson, under orders from the judge, was like put together a team of scrubs and morons, and he saw Roy Hobbs and was like, yep, you're hired. And then he called <laughs> Papa and was like, hey, this guy can really hit. You know, the trying trying to sabotage the team, and then it, yeah, he just got it, he just accidentally was right. Actually, maybe Scotty Carson was in line to become the next man. There you go. Oh, now I like this theory. It's a it was a conspiracy to oust Pop with the judge, right? Yeah, I like that. That's the let's go with that oh, version. I like that one. I like that one. Speaking of things that I like, I could not be more excited about this week's uh, draft. This is my favorite. Uh, I, dra the, this is my favorite draft that we've come up with. I think maybe yes. ever. Yes, I agree. I think this is, this is for so many reasons, my favorite draft ever. This week, we are drafting um, better... <laughs> <laughs> we are drafting better ways to figure out first downs than the uh, chain gang in uh, the NFL. That's right. Basically. That's, now, that's it should be noted, we've complained about the chain gang many times. Like, many times. We've, this is covered territory, but we just realized yesterday we've never 
drafted better ways to, to tell what 10 yards is. And, uh, and instantly it was like, oh, this is definitely what we're doing. Yeah. This is what we're doing. So we are drafting and, and this is, this is all we've done. So we have no idea like, like how serious or how, how goofy, uh, the ideas will be on either side. We just know that we are drafting better ways to measure first downs than the stupid, stupid, stupid change ga- chain game in the NFL. <laughs> and, uh, and you have the first pick. Oh, you actually have the first pick. <laughs> okay. So, uh, uh, some of these are, um, some of these are, uh, well, I, don't, I won't preface anything. In the new iOS 12 for uh, iPhones, <laughs> the, the new like software update that just came out, there's a really cool new feature called, I think it's called Measure. Yes. And you can point your camera at anything and hit a little hit, put like point to like, so you, you know, you want to measure a couch. You're at a, you're at like a pottery barn and you don't know how long your couch is or, or you're trying to measure the, the width of your of like a chair at your house you can just point your camera at it and put push like one corner of it and then just scan across with your phone and then hit the other corner it'll tell you how how long the couch is right that means right now anyone with an iphone <laughs> at any professional football game or college football game can with much greater accuracy from his or her seat right can measure 10 yards with precision laser pinpoint accuracy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so very obviously a better way to measure than a chain connected by two weird orange, long skinny triangles with circles on top of them. <laughs> a better way would be to the ball is put down wherever it's put down and you just hit just scan it with your phone measure 10 yards and then see if the ball reaches the point after 10 yards literally everyone with an iphone in every football stadium can now do this better than the chain gang can this was the this was the uh i guess the impetus for this actual draft was you sending me something about the measure and 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 uh and how much better that would be than the thing and i said we ought to draft these things so uh, yes, obviously, total, totally obvious. Just you could have anybody in the crowd do it. You could have one guy with an iPhone on the side. It really, it's it's fine. It, it, there, there's there are a lot of ways to do it with the iPhone. Um, my first pick, and I also I think I know where you're going with this because because uh, uh, I suspect I'm not going to preface anything either, but I suspect we're going to be on the same page on this. My first pick is the television yellow line. It's we we've been doing it for like whatever twenty years now. They've been doing the television yellow line. And they always, early on, they used to, they still every so often say that. But they used to say all the time, like, remember, the yellow line is not official. No, because the yellow line is way more accurate than the official way to do it. So it seems to me that you could use essentially the same technology. Maybe there's slightly more advanced technology. Maybe you have, like, an official in the booth who actually does the yellow line type of thing. And look, if you guys still, if everybody still wants, you still need those stupid orange, uh, you know, uh, sticks with the triangles on them. You still need them so that people know how far to stretch to get a first down or whatever. So you, you can still stick those out there. I don't care about that. But clearly, wherever they spot the ball, the guy up in the booth should be able to know instantly if it's a first down or not. And if it's a first down, you just buzz the guy, go, yeah, it's first down. That's it. That's that's basically the whole thing. Literally do not have to do anything other than you're doing right now. I can't believe that this hasn't been done already. Uh, yeah, 
the television yellow line is my first. Uh, of course, of course it is. <laughs> and and the thing that drives me crazy is every time there's like a close measurement, the announcers will say, "Now remember, the yes. this yellow line is not official." And I said, like, "Well, why not? Why isn't it?" Just make it the official one. It's no less accurate than the chain gang. Like no, no. So just make not. that the official thing, and then you could tell it would. Everything would go faster. There'd be no hold. The guy. I love the they the the ball is in a scrum of humanity, and it there's zero way to tell where the ball is when the player's knee hits the ground. Exactly right. The, a, a ref runs out and puts his foot very definitively down in a random place <laughs> that could be the place where it is or it couldn't be. Then, by the way, another ref comes out and puts his foot down and like measures my foot where your foot is. Yeah, okay, good. Then they toss the ball to that guy and then he puts it down. So already it's a mess. <laughs> then they come running out with the chains and the way that just just geometry works, if they aren't exactly in a perpendicular line to the line of scrimmage, it could be an inch, three inches, five inches off. It could be a number of different ways that the actual measurement is off. So, I mean, it's a, it is such a nightmare. So, of course, just make the yellow line the official line. Then who cares? It's, it's not less accurate than what they're doing. Right. No, definitely not. And probably way more accurate. To by that the way. point, here's another way that you could do it that's better. How about this? Keep the chain gang. Keep it. But have at each end of the chain gang have a very simple like laser pointer come out right. from the end <laughs> that travels along the ground for infinitely far because it's light. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then just move the chain, keep the chain gang on the sidelines. Yeah. And just have the have there be at the edge of the chain gang, at the edge of exactly ten yards, a laser that that shoots across the field, and then see if it hits the nose of the ball. How yeah. about that? That's a better yeah. way than having to carry the chain out into the middle of the field to measure and then put it back down in a in a manner that might not be totally perpendicular. And then if you keep it on the sideline, you could keep it exactly along the sideline edge, which you know is perpendicular to the to the you know to the end zone lines or to the yard marker lines so just have the i use i mean i'm the least handy guy in the world i have a laser level thing like for hanging pictures you stick it on your wall it fires a little red laser out and you see if it's level or not and it lets you mark on the wall where to hang things we have this technology this technology is available i don't understand why they actually physically carry the chain gang chain out onto the field you don't have to do that it's it's lunacy. It's pure lunacy. And speaking of technology, we have we have technology now that allows you. And it, you know, it, admittedly, it's it's specific to one thing. But at a tennis uh, match, which by the way has the only the only replay system that I like. It's the only replay system in all of sports that I like. Is the tele is the tennis replay system. Um, where you challenge a call and then they do that fun little animation. Yeah, it's and you great. get to see if the ball comes like, you know, flying in and, and whether or not it's in or out. What well, we can't use that? We can't use that technology to do this. It's basically you can just say, Oh, is it a first down? Let's go to the go to the screen and you have some fun little technology with which shows something and then like a, a, a sort of cartoon referee gives you a first down or gives you like no and shows you like how short it is. You're telling me we don't have the technology to do that. We we have to 
have through just pure cameras and GPS, could put a chip in the football, whatever the case may be, you can easily come up with some sort of electric technology that would allow us to do this in a fun, cool, and basically sound way to, to, to do this, including marking the ball, which as you point out, is it's, do you remember, I don't think they do this as much as they used to. In fact, I don't think they measure as much as they used to. They kind of do it by eye now. They, which, they, you know, they've is, basically given up. They know they, <laughs> they have it. Yes. It's, it's no one. No, this is clearly like a back room deal. Right. Um, over the right. over the last couple off seasons, they basically just say first down. They they that's right. It's very very rare. It happened a and I only noticed this because again I don't watch a lot of football anymore. But last night there were a couple like Jarvis Landry caught a ball kind of going out of bounds and held the ball yeah. out, and the guy just confidently ran up, put his foot down, and just signaled <laughs> first down, and everybody moved on with their life. And it's like and by the way on replay that was not a first. Oh, down. God, but, I mean, but also I, like who cares? Like yeah, they cares? they've clearly exactly. decided that the the measurement system is so coarse that it's not worth the slowdown of the game to right. do it eight ten times a game. They've empowered. They very clearly have empowered the side judges and the referees to just say first down and and yes. it keeps the game moving and it's it's just as likely as not that they're like they're gonna over the course of the year you're gonna get 26 of those calls in your favor and 27 of them against you and it'll be fine and, and yes. i and I, I i believe me i'm in favor of this but also <laughs> it just is only now highlighting how absurd what a clown show it was before to bring out the chain gang every time oh my gosh remember they used to do that like the guy would come in and he'd mark and they'd bring out the chain gang, and he'd be like an inch short. And then he'd run back, and then the uh, then the referee would pick up the ball, throw it across the field to mark it, like where it actually needed to be marked in the middle of the field. Hilarious. I'm like, I'm like bring the chain gang out again. Let's give it yes, you have to bring it out again, and then put it back down, and then put the ball. Like it's <laughs> it's hilarious. It's a game of brute force, and they and then when at the most important moments. They measure these things with with these incredibly falsely precise measurements with the worst possible <laughs> measuring system. I mean, the game is a f- joke. Oh, it's so classic. All right, moving on. Number three. Um, so, I think that is if you're gonna have a uh, a dumb system of measurement, yeah. right? Yeah. If you're gonna say like this is a dumb coarse measuring tool, then why not make it interesting? Right. right. Why not say instead of a 10 yard chain, why not say, uh, OK, Subway, you want it, the, the <laughs> sandwich shop. You want it. You you I, th- I believe Subway advertises or it probably is a sponsor of the NFL. Subway oh, famously yeah. five dollar footlongs. OK, now right? we're talking. So <laughs> thirty five dollar footlongs in a row. There's <laughs> there you go. There's your new marker. And it's a delicious. It looks appetizing. It's a good advertisement for Subway. You, they could even make one 30-foot, 10-yard party sub, and it could be like every time your home team gets a first down, you get $5 off or $10 off our new 30-foot party sub. So, you know, the the Baker Mayfield throws an eight-yard out to Jarvis Landry. He catches the ball. He stretches out, uh, you know, for the first down. They, they place the ball, and then five Subway employees come running out with a 30 foot party sub and they put it down on the ground measure it next to the ball everyone is watching "Mm, that looks delicious what is that turkey is that chicken teriyaki that looks so good suddenly subway sales go up 
you know, they get free advertising out of it. It's no more or less accurate than the chain gang. I mean, it's a, it's a home run. It's a win-win for everyone. Oh, I love this. Oh, I love this. And it, clearly this is going to take a terrible turn because I, I had exactly the same thoughts that you had, which is from here on in, it's going to be things that are no more stupid yeah, than the one that's we're right. doing now. So my uh, third choice is the Hyundai Electra car is 179.9 inches long, okay. which is five yards, <clears throat> half the distance uh, for the for the football, uh, half the distance. You have Hyundai, undoubtedly an NFL sponsor, drive two Hyundai Electras on the field, sure. park them 0.157 inches apart. Right. Voila. Well, you There's don't even need to perfect mark. You could probably build a rig that's 1.57 inches apart, like a little. Oh, you pad. could. That would pull them both, pull them both on at the same time. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think this would be great. And so, and then again, same thing. Perfect ad time for advertising for the NFL. You got the Hyundai Electra, which is a very fine car. Pull that thing out there. Just drive right over the football. Just just smash over the thing. Sure. And and see if uh, see if you get the first down. I'll do you one better. Here's my fourth pick. You ready for this? I am. I found online a 2011 Keystone Sprinter RV camper, exactly <laughs> 30 feet long. So it's a it's a beautiful travel camper. I found it at Bob Barker Budget RVs of Texas. Uh, <laughs> It's unfortunately no longer for sale. Someone must have bought it. It was on sale, I think, for seventeen thousand seven hundred ninety-nine dollars. Uh, but I mean, how's this? How's this for simplicity? You got a giant RV, thirty-foot RV. Uh, and, you know, you make a first down. Someone th- is in there. He just drives the RV forward. He parks it where the with the rear fender right at the fir- right at where the ball is. Then you just I just eyeball it. Basically, RVs are enormous. You know, paint it, paint it red, white, and blue. Do a tie-in sure. with, the, with the Department of Defense. <laughs> you know, for the for the military, you have a red, white, and our blue patriotic RV there on the sidelines. You, if you if you get it past the front bender uh, fender of the RV, it's a first down. Easy. It's <laughs> totally love this, and and by the way, love the patriotism of it. Lots of flags. Just put a bunch of Just flags bunch all of over. Flags, the and it could be blaring the oh. national. The, the NFL can get their greatest wish. It could be blaring the national anthem just on a loop for the entire game. I just say you just have Maroon Five playing when you train sure. the camper. Well, you could also go, you could go back and forth, right? You could have "Wake Up Call" by Maroon Five alternating with the U.S. national anthem. My fourth choice is, uh, and I think you probably are aware of this. In 1958, and this is you know. A bunch of people at Harvard wanted to measure the Harvard Bridge and didn't really know how to do it in 1958. Did not have the, you know, the most excellent 10-yard chains uh, that they could use. So what they did was they used what is now uh, known as the Smoot method, where they got five foot five uh, foot Oliver Smoot and laid him down uh, 364 times. Got up, laid back down, got up, laid back down, got up, laid back down. 36.4 smoots is how long the uh, Harvard Bridge is. That's about 2,000 feet. So having figured out the math on this, <clears throat> five and a half smoots is a first down. So all you need to do is you need to get Oliver Smoot. I don't know where Oliver is these days. I hope he's still with us. You get Oliver Smoot. You bring him out there, sit him down, lay him down five and a half times over the over the, the period Basically, the half being his belt buckles. 
Is the football equal with the belt buckle? That's a Smoot first down right there. And and I think you dress Oliver Smoot up in patriotic clothes, a perfect thing for the NFL. I mean, it's it's a home run. <laughs> it's, an, it's, it's exactly as stupid as the current system and slightly more interesting. It is more interesting to watch Oliver Smoot stand up and sit down I mean, and lay down. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, now, pretty- unfortunately, though, look, these are all we've had so far eight great ideas that are all <laughs> eight as yes. good, if not much better than the current system. But I, th- I my fifth pick is the winner. I'm going to say right now I'm going to win the draft with my pick. OK, um, the longest snake ever in <laughs> captivity was a reticulated python named Medusa. Who, Medusa. Uh, was in a, uh, it was found in uh, Missouri, actually, Kansas City, your home, uh, your home court. Wow. There. Yeah. So uh, October 12, 2011, Medusa, a uh, reticulated python, uh, was found to be 25 feet, two inches long. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So wow. 25 feet, two inches. We get So you get Medusa, right? And you also, my son, who's uh, 10 years old, pretty soon will be, I would say, in the next couple months, maybe not by the end of this season, but at some point, will be four feet, 10 inches tall. <laughs> so, ball goes down after the kickoff at the 25. There's a close, you know, nine and a half yard play. You bring out Medusa and my human son, and you lie them down end to end. And that will be exactly 10 yards. That will be 10 yards. And as an added bonus, there's like a real sense of drama I and mean, it doesn't have to be my son it could be any kid right any four right. it could be a rotating thing like the punt pass and kick competition you get a bunch <laughs> of kids who are exactly 410 and then you have this really exciting thing which is while we're waiting to see if the uh green bay packers got a first down in the second quarter of this game against the pittsburgh steelers will a giant python eat a child <laughs> that's like <laughs> that's like an added bit of drama where like it's possible that we're about to see a 25-foot reticulated python consume a human child. That is so exciting. Tell me something that's more exciting. Tell me tell me ratings. Look, they've been having ratings problems. You try yeah. to tell me right now the ratings wouldn't go up if you thought that you might get to see a 25-foot reticulated python eat a kid. Okay, so here's the question in, in the scenario. And I and I don't, I don't want to make it your son. I think every stadium ought to have a four-foot ten. That's kid. fine. They, 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 we can get the children from anywhere, really. So here's the question. If, let's say you are a, let's pick a sort of a random team. Let's say you're a Jaguars fan, okay? You're a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. Sure. And, and you are down, uh, or you're up by, by three with just minutes, to you know, seconds to go in the game. And you try to get the first down to basically run out the clock, and it's really close. And it's going to be fourth down or first down. First down, you're going to win the game. Fourth down, you're not going to win the game. If... And, and so you get it really, really close. You bring out the python. You bring out the local Jacksonville kid. Um, and you, you lay him out. You get the first down. But the kid is eaten. Right. How does the crowd respond? I think they just go nuts. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's doubly exciting, right? So, so the story in the Jacksonville paper the next day would be, Jaguars win, comma, child dies. It, well, like it, would would be, put- it would be something like this. It would be like, you know, Jaguars defeat Titans 31-23, you know, in, in late season drive to playoffs, <laughs> semicolon, four children consumed by snake. <laughs> <laughs> 
Or, it, or you don't even put it in the headline. You just put it either in a subhead sure. or you put it in, in the actual story in which the story would be along the lines of a critical first down measurement uh, proved uh, valuable to the Jaguars late in the game, but did uh, cost Johnny Wilson his life. That's right. right? I mean, that's basically how you Yeah. No, this is the best idea. It's the best idea. I, I'm not going to be able to top it with my fifth pick. My fifth pick, I'm just going to get it out there because it's not going to be able to top it, is to clearly, and this is, seems obvious, and I can't actually believe the NFL hasn't done this. It seemed like it should be this way. 58.63192182 dollars bills uh, will stretched out, will be 30 yards. Right. Uh, or 360 quarters, just being just laying down quarters. Uh, quarters are tougher. Because, you know, nobody carries change around anymore, right? I mean, it's it's tougher with the change. You'd have to you'd have to come with the change and, you know, you wouldn't be able to, like, you would go in the crowd and say, hey, anybody got a quarter? And people are like, eh, I use Apple Pay now. I don't have quarters. But the $58 uh, and 0.63, so I guess you would need $59. I guess you would, are you legally allowed to cut a dollar at the exact measurement? Probably not, right? That would. Not I think it's a get technically against the law, yeah. Yeah, so I think you'd have to either draw like a little line on it or you just sort of eye it. You know, you would just basically eye it. Um, and I think, by the way, you you lay them down individually, right? You don't stitch them together or anything like that. I don't want one long uh, dollar bill thing. Literally, you go down there and you lay out $58 and then the $59 to see if they get the first down. I think that would be really exciting. I mean, again, exactly as stupid as the current version. <laughs> I would say it's a tie. It was a tie. So, again, we came up with uh, some incredibly good ideas for the NFL. I don't what? know why Goodell won't return our calls. <laughs> you know, he served for so long as commissioner, uh, and then after all those fines, uh, just walked away. Just said, you know, this isn't this isn't worth my time, yeah. even with all these fines. It's just not worth my time. It's, just, it's too bad, because our ideas are fantastic. <laughs> and by the way... Just one last bit we ought to say. Maybe we can even throw this into one last meaningless thing. Maybe we ought to just do that. It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know. Like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael nor Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast was. We never fully uh, gave the the obituary to Papa John. We never fully expressed our you know dismay at the at the I guess I don't know what you call it, the demise of of Papa John, which apparently is not. I mean, the pizza thing is still going on. They're still going to call it Papa John. But the guy, Papa John, that guy, he's out, right? He's completely... He's out, yeah. He's out, yeah. I, and we never really got to say anything. Yeah, I, I don't generally like dancing on graves, uh, although in this case, uh, it's certainly warranted. <laughs> it's certainly warranted. That's but, what I'm saying. I know, yeah. I don't like... Um, but, in the, but I will say this. The thing that, that shocked me about the whole thing was like, it, look, there are some people who just shouldn't speak in public, right? They, they're just, but maybe it's because their ideas are generally speaking abhorrent, or maybe it's because they have foot and mouth disease or both or not, or some other thing. 
But generally speaking, like some, there's a lot of people who come out in this day and age on Twitter or in, uh, in interviews or in speeches or whatever, and they say things and immediately it's like, oh my God, what a dumb thing to say. If you're one of those people, stop talking. Just stop yeah. talking like for your own good. I don't, it's not like, and I'm, I'm not saying this, like I'm trying to protect you or I have a vested right. interest in right. whoever you are and what it is that you say, just stop talking. You got, you have to have the self-awareness to understand that when you open your big, dumb, stupid, fat mouth, you get in trouble <laughs> and it's jeopardizing whatever your situation is. And in this case, it, he's the CEO of a gigantic company. He's like a billionaire, this guy. And the yeah. only thing that could jeopardize what he had built and constructed was his own big, dumb, stupid mouth and his abhorrent right. opinions about things. And how does no one say to him, and maybe they did, who knows, but how does no one say to him like, hey, man, you got to shut up. Just shut up. Stop talking. Disappear. <laughs> Go away. Hide in your house. Go to one of your many mansions. Fly around in your many private jets and stop talking. And and people will forget about this. He couldn't do it. It's shocking. And I, I don't know, maybe it's because he thinks he's like a star because he's in his own ads and he hobnobs with Roger Goodell and Peyton Manning and whoever else. I don't know what the reason is, but he had a compulsion to be offensive and stupid. It was shocking. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. I, I will say that that is something I don't fully understand. Like, why why be in the public eye when the public eye has so consistently proven to not want you uh, and your stupid opinions uh, <laughs> out there? That it, it doesn't. It doesn't and, and I think it is. I think it's it's the star feeling, right? I mean, it's sort of we're seeing a little bit of that, I guess with Elon Musk, right? He where he's he can't he can't help it. He just can't help but but be out there, and and it's just it's it's like it's like oxygen to him to to be in the public eye. And maybe that was the case with with Papa John, who, by the way, they kept saying his real name, but. And and I it, it's not like I've been purposely trying to avoid learning his real name. I just have never been able to remember his real name. I just every time they say the name, I hear what is Papa it? John. I don't. I I've no. I've I read it a hundred times, but I don't know. It. I know that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I've seen it like a thousand times, and then as soon as I see it, I'm like, oh, you know that that's his real name, and then it just disappears from my mind. <laughs> it's just, Papa John, the, the Papa John guy, that guy. So are we going to hear from that guy again? I mean, he's done, Oh, no, right? no, you're going to hear from him again. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he still is a he still has like $700 million and uh and is like alive. You're going to like he has a that's what I'm saying. He has a compulsion. He just has a compulsion to 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 like barf up his weird opinions and abhorrent stances on things into the public eye. I think he'll probably go away for a while, but like no, you you haven't heard the last of Papa John. He'll, <laughs> believe me, there will be some moment in the next two years where it's like he'll Papa John will be a guest speaker at some kind of convention or some kind of gathering, and he will say a bunch of stupid stuff that's offensive, and people, everyone will have the same reaction, which is like, "Oh, that guy! I remember that guy! Oh, look what he did now! Oh, good, we can f keep forgetting about him." <laughs> the thing, the thing that I got to say about Papa John is. Uh, and this is sort of true about everything. I, I even put something on Twitter, and you're off Twitter, by the way. Now, I am. Right? Yes, this I'm taking is, a little uh, break from Twitter. Yeah. Are you Are you going to come back? Are you going to Are you going to be back? I, uh, yeah. I, I I did. I it wasn't like goodbye forever. It was just like I got to take a break from this. I I hit a wall with the uh, with some of the corporate decisions that the Twitter was making and their inability to protect vulnerable people and their seemingly uh, like their seeming compulsion to like protect the worst people <laughs> like yeah it's like it was like we got to protect these nazis and then other like there were women going like hey we're getting abused 
and uh, and called horrible things all the time. And they're like, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. We're busy protecting these Nazis. So I just kind of hit a wall and I was like, I'm going to step back from this for a little while. I don't know how long and who knows, maybe I'll come back. Someday. No, no, it makes, it makes perfect sense. But one of the things you see on Twitter and you see everywhere else in life is you have a Papa John-like figure say something. And then, of course, a bunch of people are offended by what he says because what he says is fundamentally offensive. And then... There's like the second wave of people who rush to defend Papa John or whatever Papa John said. And this happens constantly. I, like I said, I put something on Twitter the other day that there's like a there's like a Twitter thing that you in your mind, you think, OK, I, I've got a joke that I want to say, um, but it's kind of offensive and and I don't really believe it. But it'll be funny so I can put it out there and then a bunch of people get mad and then a bunch of people will defend me by yelling at the people who got mad that they can't take a joke and then I should never do this and then I'll, and then I hit tweet right like that's the thing and you just you, just, you, you said it um at some point though somebody will cross a line where almost nobody will defend them anymore right not not even because they don't agree with what they're saying but because they realize how stupid it is like it's a it's a waste of my effort to defend this person because nobody cares I think he could cross that line. Like that seems like a line that like nobody defends John Rocker right, anymore. Right. But they did when he first did it. And there were a bunch of John. Hey, the, the, the guy's speaking out. He's speaking for a whole constituency and whatever. But now everybody's like, John Rocker is such a joke. Nobody cares. And nobody cares enough to defend John Rocker. Jose Canseco, nobody cares enough to defend these guys. So I think Papa John, if he crosses that line, that would be really good. Yeah, his name is John Schnatter, by the way. Oh, you look it up. <laughs> hey, how do you forget the name Schnatter? Like that name is like very memorable. Yeah, I. The, of, he said a lot of very stupid stuff. He said a lot of offensive stuff about uh, African American people. He's used a lot of words that he shouldn't use. He's he, and he's worth eight hundred million dollars. So uh, <laughs> you, you'll hear from him again. But I've forgotten this. I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. I've forgotten that during the Affordable Care Act uh, debate in 2000. 2012, he came out and was like, I want to warn everyone. I got to warn everybody. This is serious. If this Affordable Care Act legislation passes, you could see increases in the cost of pizza between 11 and 14 <laughs> cents per pizza. <laughs> it was like, it was like, buddy, you're, you're equating 11's more sense for pizza with like 30 million people getting healthcare coverage. And in your mind, those are equal. It's like, it's like in his mind, he was like, yes, yes, 30 million people would have health insurance and like wouldn't go bankrupt if they got sick. But at what cost? <laughs> and do you really you, want to spend 11 more cents are, per pizza? Are you willing to take another dime and penny out of your wallet? Like, I, if you told me right now that we had been paying 11 more cents per pizza for every pizza we've ever bought than we thought we were, would anyone even know? What are you talking about? 11 to 14 cents per pizza is an amazing thing to to sound like a clarity call, like a, a call to arms. We must stop this 11 cent price increase. Well, as you will remember, and as we discussed in the podcast, like one of my all-time favorite things was the one-time NFL effort to stop uh, players from uh, from uh, basically silently protesting during the national anthem against uh, police uh, uh, violence and so on. 
was to remind people that this could hurt Papa John and the pizza car. Like that was right. that was an actual strategy they once had. Yeah, yeah. The the, the uh, but but who will think of Papa John is basically what they were saying. <laughs> but who but who will come to Papa John's defense? As you as you protest centuries of police brutality against an entire like m- entire ethnic group or multiple ethnic groups, yes. have you thought of before you do this? Have you thought about the feelings of Papa John? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad we did this. That is a that is my favorite one. Last meaningless thing. I'm sorry. I, 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 again, don't nobody wants to dance on. On the on the sad world that Papa John has lived on, but we do. <laughs> you know what? Again, he has eight hundred million dollars. I don't, like. Yeah, he's fine. he's fine. It's all fine. He's living a great life. Everything's fine. He's uh, he's a sad, weird kind of racist guy who's living an eight hundred million dollar existence somewhere. Yeah, he'll be okay. He'll, he'll survive it. <laughs> all right, Michael. As always, thank you. Thanks for having me.